0: Welcome to Turn 1, a Formula 1 podcast.
1: Thomas and Jeremiah.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Turn One, a Formula One podcast. We're your hosts, Jeremiah and Thomas. Thomas, we've got a wild episode. Okay. Little long. <laughs> oh no. A wild. Okay. We're going over the history of McLaren racing. I, I get where you said long. Maybe not long
1: in duration, but in terms of his, historic constructors in Formula One, they go back
0: as far as anybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking 1966 to current day. Oh, no. We're going back to Williams days. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me set the stage for you. Okay. It's 1952. Oh. The new sport of Formula One is in its third season. They
1: just made cars, and now they're already racing them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were rolling out the Fords. The
0: rolling Model, the Model T's, Ts right there on the, the F1 track. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's 1952. Formula One's in its third season, and Ferrari is dominating currently with Alberto Ascari. Okay. So, a young Bruce McLaren, I think 12 years old at the time, (laughs) is trying to convince his dad to keep the car that he's trying to sell because it's old. It's a 1929 Austin Ulster. Okay. I don't even know what that is. Never heard of it. Not once. Sounds cool. So, he's trying to make him keep it because he wants to work on it and enter it in a race. So his dad agrees to it and enters him into a local hill climb, which he wins. A local hill a climb. A local hill, boy, hill climb. Boy, I would love to be around in the wait. 50s. 12 years old. 12? Wait, I don't know about you. When did you start driving? Uh, I am 15. Yeah. 12 years old, and he was entering a race. A hill climb. A hill climb. And just
1: to give you context, there's your old Austin Ulster. <laughs>
0: We're climbing That's hills with that bad one boy. of those. <laughs> Uh, So this sparked a a fire in him for car racing and more importantly, actually, which this is going to play into later, the development of cars. Sure. It kind of sounds like one of those origin stories like you hear with with Ferrari or Lamborghini or any
1: sports car maker. They have a dream as a
0: kid and they just get into it. Oh, 100%. And that's exactly what you get here. So a little bit later, carries on. He goes and has a successful stint in Formula 2. Uh, before he was selected because of that to go train in Europe, where he secured an F1 seat for the 1959 season for the team of Cooper Racing.
1: I'll be real honest; I had no idea Formula Two went back that far.
0: It was uh, it wasn't like FIA Formula Two; it was yeah. like Formula Two Auckland or New Zealand or something like that. You know, it was one of those branch offs. Another crazy thing:
1: Were you going to get into his where he's from? Auckland, New Zealand. I had no idea he was from New Zealand. Yeah. Zero idea. I always thought McLaren was fully a British brand, 100%. No, man.
0: He's from Auckland, New Zealand. I,
1: there, is Mc, McLaren's based out of... I know the racing team is based out of England, but like McLaren's production is also based out of England now,
0: right? I would imagine so. Yeah. The actual automotive yeah. branch. Yeah. No idea he came from New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of wild to hear that, too. You know, you definitely don't hear a name like that and associate it with New New Zealand. Zealand. <laughs> Uh, in his first year he picks up a third place podium as well as a race win at the final race of the season so not a bad start for him
1: okay uh can we fast forward a little bit what you got 1963 he is now the three-time grand prix winner but he's he's not feeling the racing scene anymore he's he's more the the moder- the, the the past or previous days christian horner right you get out on the track get a little taste for the racing but you're thinking Not only can I run this
0: thing, I can build these things. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Just imagine you're going against the best cars in the world and you're sitting there. Mind you, super young still. Yeah. You're in the middle of your racing career and you're like, you know what, I like these cars, but... I could build it better than this. And and you know where that probably comes from? If you start in
1: racing as a kid, your mind is fascinated by how things work and how they're built. Like I know growing up, we had like the power wheels things, right? Oh yeah. And we're always trying to figure out how to make them go faster because they go like a mile an hour. And then you have the dad that figures out if you get a Milwaukee battery and put it in there, it doubles the speed of those things. (laughs) It's probably one of those things where if you start as a kid, your mind just goes towards the fascination of how they work. And once you figure out how to drive them, you're constantly thinking, how can I make this faster? How can I make it better?
0: Yeah, and with a mind at 12 years old, you're sitting there customizing a 1929 car for a hill climb. You're probably racing that Cooper, and any kind of flaw in the car, you're sitting there thinking, why don't they just fix this? I could fix this. Right. And then how many of those do you say before you're finally like, no, I can do this whole thing? Just, I mean, just referring back,
1: obviously the two major sports cars brands outside of McLaren is going to be Ferrari and Lambeau. Lamborghini looked at the Ferrari and said, I can do this better than he can. Exactly. And they made their own
0: branch. Yep. Now, so he has this epiphany, right? His true passion of building cars and making them as fast as possible, developing them. Where does he go from here? So he's 29 years old. 29. He's.
1: We're not there yet, but he's ahead of us, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he goes to his brothers, Timmy and Teddy. And, or sorry, not his brothers, two brothers, Timmy and Teddy. And he says, look, I want to start um, uh, building cars. I want to start a racing venture. So they start Bruce McLaren Racing. Which is pretty cool to name the racing team after yourself, right? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> um, which, when you think about it, most company names, you Enzo know, are Ferrari, and so he's setting himself up to be another line on one of those. But you had to think back then at age twenty nine, he had no idea where it could go. He probably thought the sky's the limit, but what are the real? What are the realities of building an F su- car? <laughs> yeah, being yeah. a successful car manufacturer. Um, so he enters an off season event, and he just out of the gate, impresses F1 folks.
0: Yeah, so he starts his own team. Now, like you said, they start in an off-season thing, and they win it, impresses a bunch of people. So now they're making a run for Formula One. <laughs> so they hire an aerospace engineer <laughs> by the name of Robin Hurd, and basically they're like, listen, man, we want your help in developing this. We need to have the aerodynamics and everything looking spick and span so that we can compete at the top level. And you're talking the 60s here where like aerospace engineers were like highest demand
1: ever because obviously you're talking space race for multiple uh, countries here. So the fact
0: that they landed one of them to build an F1 car instead of go to the moon. (laughs) right? (laughs) So they're primed and ready. They built a car. What's the first thing that they have to do? Well, they have to race right in Where? a very particular location. <laughs> what else fitting other than the 66 Monaco Grand Prix? The Monaco Grand Prix. Your first race as a constructor, and since he was a constructor and he was 29, also driver.
1: I wonder this, though, a quick aside. 1966 Monaco, with the cars and how they were built, probably a vastly different experience than today. It was like the pinnacle of racing. Back oh, then.
0: And this, uh, the size of the cars? Yes. Yeah, dude, passing was way easier. Right. So
1: today it's more like the spectacle of Monaco. But back then it was probably like, hey, this is legitimately like an awesome race.
0: Yeah. I kind of thought the exact same thing. How'd they do? Well, <laughs> about nine laps in. Well, first of all, hang on. Before that race starts, I should preface this by saying they didn't have any mode of transportation. Oh, So no. they threw that car on the back of a trailer and drove to Monaco. For this race, right? Bruce Mc- From New Zealand through the water. So Bruce McLaren. No, no, no. They, they don't drive through the water. No, they weren't in New Zealand. So Bruce McLaren gets there, figures out, hey, don't freak out, but I forgot my racing boots. And then he's like, we can fix this. Goes to the sole of his shoe and just starts sawing it off. Needs that straight flat bottom so he can have as much feeling in the pedals as possible. How, like, okay,
1: if you're, if you're brand new to something and your dream is to be a major player in this, I feel like you got to have a checklist or something and, and boots would be, you know, you're kind of laying, you got your outfit laid out on the bed, <laughs> got my fire suit, pants, shirt, <laughs>
0: undershirt, boots. <laughs> no, no. Listen, man, we're talking about a team that had their McLaren strapped onto a trailer that was being pulled by their daily driver. <laughs> I don't think I don't think they had it all quite figured out at the moment. They're he's still a fresh his, team. He's in. got his hill climbing Austin Olsen pulling there. <laughs> yeah, right. So, first race, 9 laps in, they have an engine failure and they have to retire. I think that
1: was it's, it hurts when that's your first event, but also that was probably pretty common back then. There was a ton of teams that would start and not finish races early days of F1. Oh, sure. Because, I mean, think about the mechanical issues that we have now with all the technology that we have.
0: What they're dealing with back then was pretty remedial. Right. So, two years later, it's now 1968, Bruce brings home the very first win for the Bruce McLaren racing team, or F1 team, whatever it's called at this point. I'm sure it's changed names multiple times. Uh, <laughs> so he brings home the first win at the 1968 Belgian Grand Prix. Great news, great start. Unfortunately, it doesn't last long. No. Um.
1: So two years later, 1970. Much like you hear about many greats in in, in Formula One, but any racing event, it is a dangerous, high Extremely. speed. Like those drivers are. Risking their lives every single time they take off. So, 1970, he's in a cam man event. Uh, a piece of bodywork comes off of his car, becomes dislodged, car loses control, crashes, and that is the end of Bruce McLaren.
0: That's tragic, dude. Yeah. You got to think about this kid who was making a name for himself in F1, started to string together a couple wins, and he's like, you know what? I can do this on my own. Starts his own team at 29 years old, hires the right people, starts to develop, gets to where he's bringing home this first win. And
1: then... The Belgian Grand Prix is nothing to, no. <laughs> I mean, that's a big no. one. No, and he wins. Seven years, years in. Later... I mean, seven years into his run as a, as a, a constructor, and that's, that's what happens. It's horrible, man. But um, Teddy, one of the brothers we mentioned earlier, um, takes over the operations of the F1 team, at least.
0: Where do they go from there? So for the next four years, i kind of trying to figure out where they're going to take this thing, how Teddy Mayer is going to run the team, how they're going to put all the systems in place. 1974, we see the, uh, the McLaren drivers, the first McLaren drivers champion. So Emerson Fittipaldi. Now they finish in second in the constructors, but with Emerson Filippaldi winning the Drivers' uh, Championship, that alone is going to make a staple for that team. We're talking about its first championship of any sort.
1: It's one really impressive. So it kind of shows you the the foundation that Bruce McLaren laid, the fact that seven years in, he has a team that he can just you know leave now Leave is a relative word, but right. the fact that it keeps going. Because a lot of companies, if your main stakeholder and founder is gone after seven years, you're not going any further.
0: But that's got to be a testament of how well he built the right. team. Right, that's what
1: I'm saying. He built the foundation. He added all the right people. The aerospace engineers, the brothers that he brought in, the cars that he had designed was enough to keep going. And then four years later, they're winning. A lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Bringing it home the driver's championship. Two years later, we see James Hunt there's a legendary name for you.
1: And if you haven't watched it, there is a movie on Netflix. Yes. Uh, called Rush, and it's about the uh, 74 title fight Nikki Lauda, James Hunt.
0: Yeah. Nikki Lauda being the number one driver for Ferrari at the time and him being a namesake in his own right. Uh, those two battle it out with James Hunt taking home the championship for at least the drivers, uh, beating out the Ferrari and legendary Nikki Lauda. That's. One of the top five names in the F1 Sport. Now, at this point, they kind of bounce around. They're still competing. They still have a good name for themselves. But 1981, lackluster year, here's what happens. So some of the cars start to incorporate ground effects. Now, with these ground effects, it's basically one of those things where if you have it, you have a massive advantage. And if you don't, you are just out of luck. Okay. So... They didn't have it. 1981, they have a, uh, or the 1980, they have a terrible, lackluster year. 1981, enter Ron Dennis. So Teddy Mayer steps back. Ron Dennis takes over. He was bouncing around from other teams, but he always had this, he had this repertoire about him where he was, you know, credited for. Basically, he had this philosophy where it was like, if you, if you. If you have everything in place, if you look nice, basically, as a team, not necessarily how you're driven or not how you're dressed, but, like, everything around you. If you look nice, you race nice. And if you're sloppy, you're sloppy. Yeah. And that might even be attributed to how McLaren operates today.
1: Like, you look at their headquarters, by far the nicest Formula One headquarters. And the way that their office looks and the way they present themselves and the way their team looks, I think that philosophy is carried through with them. And also bringing in Ron Dennis. So we're talking 1981 here this is about to start a whole new era of McLaren dominance. (laughs) Like you thought they were doing
0: okay in the seventies. No, they're about to kick it into high gear on you. Right. So we see Nikki Lauda coming from Ferrari to McLaren. That's the start. Right. So Nikki Lauda comes to McLaren in 82 and Frenchman, Alan Prost there's another legendary name for you so we have a lineup of Nikki Lauda and Alan Prost now granted that he hasn't done anything yet so people don't necessarily know what's to come right but there's a lot to come there there's been a lot of big names that have raced for McLaren we'll cover those at the end
1: but this is kind of the start of outside of Bruce McLaren like we're getting we're getting
0: some heavy hitters here right so we have the two drivers of McLaren duking it out for the world drivers championship nobody could compare they won 12 races that year 12 that's insane probably out of 17 or 18 we're talking about a team that was just celebrating their first win in the belgian grand prix now they're fighting for the world drivers championship (laughs) with nikki lauda and uh and Alain prost and those two are just duking it out can i suggest where some of this comes from at least obviously the drivers are part of it right why did
1: bruce mclaren make his own team what was he inspired by
0: the ability to build his own car and the develop in, it
1: the innovation the lack of seeing what he wanted out there already the thing the thought that he could do it better so 1984 they roll out some new technology to formula 1 the part that the driver sits in and then there also the chassis of the car right they roll out the first fully carbon fiber single piece of those pieces of the car.
0: Oh, so it was just one completely put together piece. One piece fully molded or formed or however they do it with carbon fiber.
1: And obviously when you're talking carbon fiber against what were they using before that? Maybe metal or fiberglass or something else, whatever you're talking about, if it's metal, if it's fiberglass, even if it's plastic, carbon fiber is way lighter, right? Way stronger. Oh yeah. So not only is McLaren in Bruce McLaren's absence still innovating, but they're making a lighter, safer, faster car in the middle of the 80s and they're about to go on a run
0: hey guys this is jeremiah co-host of turn one podcast we're going to get right back to this week's episode but first i wanted to let you know where you can go to find us you can find us on youtube instagram and tiktok at turn one podcast if you want to check out our audio only version you can check us out on spotify amazon music apple Podcasts, and google Podcasts at turn one a formula one podcast for any questions concerns you can reach us at trn1podcast at gmail.com All right, let's get back to it. Here's what's exciting about this. Like I said, this is the part where we're seeing Alan Pross and we're seeing Nicky Lauda kind of go at it, duke it out to see who's going to win it. Nicky Lauda wins it, (laughs) taking home the Drivers' Championship, but also bringing a World Constructors' Championship to McLaren. So if really you want to talk about when the, not necessarily dominance, but when they became an actual competitor, we're talking about 1984, because that's when we saw Nicky Lauda take it from Alain Prost, and he did his thing, won the Drivers' Championship, bringing home the Constructors. The next two years, we see Alain Prost taking it, Yep. the World Drivers' Championship. So McLaren, the very next year, 1985, they get the, the Constructors, however... Due to a, I don't know, lackluster performance by Kiki Rosberg in the second car for McLaren, they finished second in the Constructors. But Alan Pross still takes home that driver's championship. You heard another name there. The Rosbergs. Family Kiki enters the Ross- chat. <laughs> yeah. Just bear witness to the amount of <sighs> names yep. that are in F1, what, the Hall of Fame, I guess you can consider it? I mean, top 20 drivers of all time. They probably hit 10 or 12 of them. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. At least. So we have that those two duke it out 1988. Like you mentioned, we see McLaren take four straight world constructors championships as Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost battle it out for the driver's uh, championship. So here's how this plays out for the first two seasons. That's when you're going to see. So we have 1988, 1989. Those are the two seasons where Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna are battling against each other. So, we see Ayrton Senna take the first one. Alain Prost take the second one. So these two, for the entirety of those two seasons, are basically competing with each other. Which is a really good situation to have. <laughs> yeah. Really good. Right. So w- when you're in a position where for four straight years you're taking the constructors and your, dri- your two drivers are just trading off the Drivers' Championship, that's scary. Yeah. That is really scary. Not only do you have the best car, you have the two best drivers. Exactly. So... Where does this take us? This takes us to 1980 or 1990. Well, here, let me preface with this. 1989, Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost. That's the year where they were kind of, you could start to see the friction in like the way that they handled each other off of the track. They collided on the track as well, multiple times. And every single time, both just blaming each other, which is, you know, I get it. You're frustrated, but that sucks. Nobody wants to see that. Alan Prost leaves. He leaves McLaren goes to a different team and you're stuck you're not stuck with you're just left with Ayrton Senna.
1: Is it that yeah, you're stuck with him. Yeah, oh, you're man. stuck with Ayrton Senna. Is it that kind of age old thing of like I've done my time here, I'm now going to go be the guy at a team. Right,
0: it's one of those where you're you're kind of tired of this guy being a thorn in your side. Who's your teammate by the way? Imagine the stress levels as your number 1 rival throughout the season is literally next to you at all times. I am going to do a quick look as to if I can find what they were getting paid back then.
1: It's got to be nowhere near today, but there's probably a pretty big difference between being the number one on a team and a number two on a team in right. the 80s. So that could be part of why, where maybe if you have the year where
0: you're second, that is a big hit and you think you can be first. Yeah. So while you're looking that up, let me say they won four straight constructors championships. What I didn't say is they're the first team to win four straight Constructors Championships. You would have thought like Williams would have done that, or Ferrari. Yeah, it's Ferrari. Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, they had Niki Lauda first, but for that, I mean, if you're if you're a modern day F1 fan and you just got into it, you're thinking, oh, Mercedes did it seven times in a row or
0: whatever. But that is not the rule. That's the exception. <laughs> exactly, and I do want to say before we hop off of the Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost duel, 1988, that car was the most successful F1 car arguably ever built. Now, let me tell you why. So there's only 16 races that season, right? Yeah. How many do they win? 15. 15 races out of 16. They lost one McLaren, not one of the drivers. McLaren didn't get first in one race that entire season. How many did Max win last year? Ooh, you kind of stumped me with that one. Was it 15? But you have to remember there was 22 races. Right, more opportunities for sure.
1: I mean, I'm saying this can't be beat, but like just to put some context to it. 15 out of 16 is a lot when we're talking about Max
0: Verstappen winning 15 out of 23. Right, ex- exactly. We're talking about if Max wanted to equal that, he would have had to get what was it? I think it was 22 races last year. He would have had to get 21 out of 22 wins. Yep. Geez, That's a lot of winning. That's a lot. Hey, Red Bull could do it this year. I mean, 100%. There's nobody <laughs> contesting them. But that's not what this episode's about. Uh, th- Like I said, things get rocky. They're not able to see eye to eye. They're doing nothing but digging at each other, blaming at each other. So Alan Prost leaves. At this point, 1993... Or no, actually, I guess I could talk about the the next two championships. Excuse me. 1990 and 1991, we see Ayrton Senna partner with Gerhard Berger, which if you remember from our Red Bull conversations, was somebody that Red Bull was scouting to get on yep. their side.
1: He wasn't like um, just a dominant F1 driver, but he was one of those guys that would like be a really good number two driver for your team. Right. And so the Sergio
0: par- Perez, the Valtteri Bottas type. And they partner him with arguably the best driver of all time. Yep. So... Ayrton Senna takes the next two World uh, Drivers' Championships with Gerhard Berger finishing behind him, but McLaren takes two constructors to end out the four consecutive. That's insane, dude. It's
1: a crazy run. I don't know when the regulation changes were. I don't even know if they were doing that like every five, six year thing back then, but just to go on a run like that, you, you didn't, like, like Jeremiah said,
0: no team had done that. <laughs> right. And for the next two seasons, it's not like they were just, oh, now we're not on top anymore. No, they were finishing second in the standings. Yep. All the way up until 1993, I didn't know if I wanted to bring this up just because it's, it's a, it leaves a poor taste. They've had a
1: lot of tragedy at McLaren. Dude, this one. So
0: 1993, for those that aren't aware, this is when we see the unfortunate end of arguably the best Formula One driver of all time in Ayrton Senna.
1: Yeah, so when you talk best drivers, the... The number one thing is Lewis Hamilton, Michael Schumacher, right? Like those two, it's one of those two. But Ayrton Senna could have had seven, eight, nine, ten championships if that He's, didn't happen.
0: Maybe not easily, but he definitely would have been a uh, He was a on factor. the
1: path. He was on the Hamilton-Schumacher path.
0: path. Dude, the, right before all this happens, his team takes second in the, in the constructor's cha- uh, standings. He clearly still had a car where he could compete. And he probably would have taken some from Michael Schumacher. Oh, easily. <laughs> now... Let's fast forward a little bit. What uh, happens two years later? So
1: we mentioned a lot of this guy in our in our history of Red Bull episode, and then also our what teams are getting right episode. Adrian Newey yeah. <laughs> is in and around Formula One in 1995, and McLaren hires him away from Williams. Yeah, and then they partner with Mercedes. Yes, so they're getting the big name guy. And the big name
0: partnership all in one go. Yes. Now, let me st- let me start by saying this. M- Mercedes is not a team on the grid yet. Right. So this is a true partnership where Mercedes is putting everything that they possibly can into providing the best engine for this McLaren team. Because that's their team. Yeah. So all that being said, of course, you're going to have a couple years where you're going to have to figure things out. They're going to have to try and figure out what it's going to take to get to the top. But check this out this hire proved to be very fruitful <laughs> as adrian newey with the adrian newey designed mercedes powered car lets mika hakkinen take home a world drivers championship
1: mika hakkinen
0: yeah mika hakkinen there's another name for you we're just going to throw out as many legendary names as you can
1: you, now, if you're even if you're new to f1 you've heard
0: all of these mentioned on a broadcast somewhere exactly Partnered up with David Coulthard, Mika, Hak- Mika Hakkinen takes his first World Drivers' Championship for McLaren, 1998.
1: They, uh, getting Adrian Newey seems to be a really good move for every team. Partnering with Mercedes in whatever context seems to be a really good move for most teams. I'll go back to one thing real quick. So we talked about Bruce McLaren, his innovation, and all that. It sure. still surprised me to this day that McLaren isn't an engine maker.
0: I know, but okay. So, But
1: they're more focused on the design, the innovation. Right. The design. Like we talked about them built rolling out the, the carbon fiber pieces. Like that's their thing. They just get their engines elsewhere.
0: Yeah, that's kind of like a Red Bull thing, except Red Bull is now doing Red Bull power <laughs> They're going to make their own. <laughs> right? So well, here's, here's my kind of point to that. Um, to your point there, what you just said with them not being an engine provider, this is the kind of the way that I see it. So Ferrari makes cars, right? They also compete in Formula One. McLaren competed in Formula One, then further way down the line started making cars. Yeah, which I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the McLaren automotive group where you see now when it's one of what millions of dollars for one of them.
1: I think growing up, our our only exposure to McLaren, we weren't into F1. F1 wasn't a big thing in the U.S. in the 2000s and late 90s. Uh, but the McLaren F one supercar yeah. was because it was setting land speed records yes. and I would go, you know, you'd go to school and have like the Guinness book of world records or you'd have the, the, I remember I had to make like a magazine that had the thrust SSCR. Remember that big, like rocket oh, land speed yeah, thing like recent developments and so. it was like, that's the fastest car ever. But the McLaren was the fastest production car, which is insane. Yeah. Dude. And I didn't know at all at the time that McLaren was an F one thing.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying is in doing this research, when I learned that, I mean, I kept, I kept watching all of these and reading these articles, watching these videos. And I kept, they kept starting with Bruce McLaren being an F1. And I was like, when does he make the cars? And then it occurred to me, oh, that's not what this is. McLaren was an F1 team first. That was their niche. They were a F1 team. That's what they did. Then they made cars. And when you put it that way, it starts to kind of make sense. So, where does that lead us? We're in 1999. Mika Hakkinen, 1998, just won the World Drivers' Championship and brought home a World Constructors' Championship for McLaren with David Coulthard. Still partnered with Coulthard, 1999, Mika Hakkinen does it again. Back-to-back. World Drivers' Championships. Now, McLaren only finished second in the standings, but that's okay because they got their driver to bring it home. It's kind of like a 2021 Red Bull situation. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Now, they keep this partnership of Coulthard and Mika Hakkinen for quite a while, but for the next three years, you know, 1999, 2000, and 2001, they're finishing second in the Constructors. And after that 1999 World Drivers' Championship, he doesn't bring home another one for them. After that, they kind of teeter off. They're getting second, and then they're finishing third for a couple times. It's not the prettiest look. It's almost kind of like a fall from grace, you know what I mean? Because you had Ferrari dominating at that time. Exactly. Early 2000s, late 90s. Right, with the Schumacher. We'll fast forward a little bit, 2007. Now, 2007, this kind of very much upset me. So I went I looked at the 2017, or 2017, 2007 Drivers' Championship standings, and come to find out Fernando Alonso, for McLaren, because he's at McLaren now, won the whole thing. And McLaren got disqualified from the 2007 season. <laughs> Is this why uh, Fernando Alonso is possibly seen as a villain, just got everybody's hopes up and then ruined them? Right. Well, he's partnered with Lewis Hamilton at the time. So Lewis Hamilton, what, 22 years old at the time. Yep. First first year in uh, Formula One. They get disqualified because of this scandal. So check this out. Some guy at McLaren goes to a copy shop and asks if they can make copies of this document. Now the person behind the counter looks at this and notices that it's stamped at the top, Ferrari. Ooh, big no-no. You can't collaborate when you're a constructor. Something tells me this was not a collaboration. <laughs> so he gets busted. They call up Ferrari say, hey man, you got a dude over here trying to do you dirty. And McLaren gets stamped with an ungodly amount of fines. I can't remember what the number was. It was somewhere over 100000 which 2007? Yeah, look we're up, look up how much the 2007 fine that McLaren got from the FIA was, because it was an outrageous amount.
1: 100 million dollars. <laughs> the largest fine ever given by the FIA, and it in- excluded them from the the championship.
0: Jeez. Well, what did we learn? We learned that Fernando <laughs> Alonso and Lewis Hamilton don't play nice together. 100 million dollars. That's why they're struggling today. That fine. they're still having to pay it off trying to recover they put it on layaway something that happened in 2007 (laughs) crushed them but where does that lead for 2008 it didn't really hurt him that much (laughs) because what happens in 2008 so
1: jeremiah mentioned young lewis hamilton has
0: entered the sport he's racing with uh,
1: fernando alonso 2007 2008 lewis hamilton steals the show age 23 wins
0: the whole thing wins the whole thing and his first world drivers championship now Unfortunately, they only finish in second in the constructors. But once again, McLaren brings home a champion.
1: Yeah. And, and if you ask the teams, like, they would prefer to win both. Sure. But I think, like, you look at Christian Horner with Max winning in 2021. That was enough for him that year. That took them back to a spot they hadn't been in seven years. Oh, yeah. It shows that you have the best driver
0: in the grid. And that alone is probably the biggest brag that you can yep. have at a Formula One. It's like, yeah, 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 you might have won the P- whole thing. People care way
1: more about the drivers than the constructors. Right.
0: You might have won the whole thing. But we've got the champ, man. The champ champ. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, like I said, they finish in second. And the next couple, or not couple, the next few years following after that, they kind of teeter around third, go back up to second for a few years, back down to third. Here's where things get a little bit dicey, right? So Lewis Hamilton leaves the team. Why does Lewis Hamilton leave the McLaren racing team? Who steals him? The, the new big boys
1: in the sport of Formula One. They've been an engine provider. They've been a technical partner.
0: But now they have a team and they have money that is Mercedes. So Mercedes becomes a works team. They now build the engines and build the car, making McLaren a Mercedes customer instead of a technical partner. Now, what does that mean? That means that the focus is now no longer on McLaren, but it's on building the best engine possible for the Mercedes team. And in doing so, we built a pretty good engine if McLaren wants to use it. Can I
1: add something that I've been researching while we've been sitting here talking? Go for it. I always thought that even in McLaren's production cars, they purchased engines from other companies. They make their own engines. McLaren? Mm -hmm. Automotive Mm -hmm. for the production cars. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, no. Now, I'm sure some of their
1: early ones had ones, but all of their most recent ones have been McLaren-produced engines.
0: Oh, no. So why don't they become a works team? I don't know. That's got to be the biggest mystery in F1. I don't
1: know. And they all work out of the same facility. That that facility in England, the F1 production cars are also designed and developed there. So the engines are there.
0: (laughs) So, like I said, 2009-2014, McLaren solely fall from second all the way down to fifth in the standings. By the way, a little fun fact for you just to throw this in there. 2014 brings in Kevin Magnuson. Oh, yeah. we
1: we might mention in a minute, his father also raced briefly for McLaren. Yeah. <laughs> yeah earlier on. Yes. Yawn.
0: <laughs> yeah. So 2015, we see the return of Fernando Alonso. And with that, Also, a couple things that kind of changed around there. 2015, they switched to Honda engines. Not their own engines. (laughs) What happens to them after switching to these Honda
1: engines? They immediately fully drop off the face
0: of the earth. (laughs) (laughs) As they go full back marker. (laughs) Going down to ninth in 2015. Oh, God, that's got to hurt, man. The worst part of it is it's not it's not the only time that it happened. The next year, they made it up to sixth, but then the following year, right back down to ninth, man. But I probably should preface that in 2017, they took it back, man. Going to old school. Yeah, they brought back the orange. They brought back the orange from the 1968 Bruce McLaren car. Yeah, and, and when you think McLaren, you think orange, I think. Sure, exactly. So in 2015, they switched to Honda. Horrible year. Horrible. After that, it's time for him to step down, right? So we see, we see them change roles from who's leading the team, right? Right. So it goes from Dennis, Ron Dennis. Who has been running it since the 80s? Some, somewhere around there, yeah. They switch to Zach Brown, who is the current day CEO of McLaren Racing. Uh, okay.
1: A couple things here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one, just to go back, I do like how they went back to the orange thing, although we'll talk about some livery stuff here in a second. Um, I didn't know that Ron Dennis had been running it for this long. You're talking about 40-some-odd years at this point. We, Zach Brown is also the era that Drive to Survive started, which is what got a lot of people into it. I really had high hopes for them. I know. He seemed like he has his act together. He seems like he knows what he's doing. And McLaren was one of the few teams that had the, the CEO of the company being followed rather than team principal. Um, but boy, they just can't get it figured out how to get back to where
0: they were. I know. And here's the worst part. You remember, you remember in the races in like this past race where they were talking, or I don't think it was this past race. It might've been the first one when they were first talking about Fernando's move to Aston Martin. You yep. remember them talking about how he always seemed to make the wrong move at the wrong time. He always went to the team that then fell off. Goes to, goes to McLaren in 2015. They finished ninth in the Constructors. Yeah. There for the next year, finished 6th. Still not much better. And uh, Red
1: Bull's shown us what you can do with some Honda engines, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> They're not bad engines. No,
0: no. It's just a badly made car, man. It's not, not good. Very next year, Fernando Alonso still, and it's Jensen Button, by the way. It's Fernando and Jensen Button. Another name. Right. Finishing in the ninth again. Not a good look. So at this point, we're kind of seeing some lackluster stuff from McLaren. It's not really the best thing to happen to them, especially if you look at their long tenured history of being this amazing racing team with all of the success and all of these very notable drivers. They haven't had this period of stagnation in their history. Not once. No. So 2020, we saw McLaren return to the top. Finishing in three, the the top three. (laughs) Well, not, not, well, I mean, to the top of the grid, yeah. not necessarily number one spot, right? but they figure it out. 2020, they bring, they come back onto the podium. They finish in third in the constructors. Not a bad look. So who was the drivers? A young Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz who had joined the team in the previous year. They finished third in the constructors, man. After this run of just fifth, fifth, ninth, sixth, ninth, sixth, fourth, bam back on the podium but then who comes who comes knocking it's not about who comes knocking <laughs> it's about what happened to the car but yes to your point we see 2021 daniel ricardo joins mclaren and i was gonna say ferrari came knocking and took carlos signs <laughs>
1: oh yeah definitely stole mclaren's number one because I don't know about you like McLaren's historic and all that great and all that but just like we saw with Sebastian Vettel when Ferrari
0: comes knocking you answer that you door. go you always answer that door <laughs> No exactly so Ferrari steals away Carlos Sainz and we see Daniel Ricciardo make the move from Renault to McLaren Now people had a lot of high hopes for this just because of his success at Red Bull and then his actual pretty good Career uh, stint there at Renault. Renault a, just didn't have a car that could with a finish a race. a underpowered car. Yeah. yeah it, it had horrible defects. It had to retire multiple different times, but he was still doing good with that car when he could get it to finish. Right. So he moves to McLaren. Everybody has high hopes. They are in a dogfight of a
1: battle trying to beat out Alpine, and they're trying to compete with Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull. But Mr. Ricardo,
0: What did Mr. Ricardo do? Pushes
1: aside all the drama, all the battle for the midfield. And he says, hey, we can win this thing.
0: <laughs> like, what?
1: So he comes out and wins a race for uh, for McLaren. Yeah,
0: he wins the 2021
1: Monza Grand Prix. The last race McLaren has won.
0: And that's the other unfortunate fact, <laughs> is that Daniel Ricciardo took home McLaren's last victory. Keep in mind, Three that was ago. a 1-2 by McLaren. Lando Norris yeah. finished second in that race. Yeah. So we had this spree of like, oh, maybe McLaren's figured it out. This this is really exciting. We can get behind McLaren, we can start supporting. No. So they finished that year in 4th in the constructors. The very next year, it's not any better. Daniel Ricciardo seems like he can't figure out the car. Lando Norris doing pretty well in the car, but the car itself is not a top dog. It's not a fighter for the podium. Alpine absolutely replaces them as number 4 and dropped to number or to drop to the 5th spot. So they take home fifth in the Constructors, the variant, and now we're to present day 2023. Daniel Ricciardo leaves McLaren, goes... Ah, uh, leaves his relative. Well, they had to pay him $18 million for him to leave, so... He, he was forced out, but paid well. <laughs> <laughs> so Daniel Ricciardo leaves. He's now the reserve driver at Red Bull. And we see, after the very wild Oscar Piastri drama, him come to McLaren.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So now you're running Lando Norris, Oscar Pastry, two young guns, um, really good feeder series careers by both of
0: them. Just hasn't worked yet. <laughs> and to that, I'm going to blame the car. We know what uh, Piastri can do. And we've
1: seen what Lando can do. He just hasn't had a car. No. Like, if you put him in a Ferrari, does it
0: win a race? Probably. Dude, it's so aggravating because how can you have a team with so much tenure, with so much success, with a history of all of these champion drivers, and you can't build a car to even get on the podium? The first race
1: of 2023, Lando had, what, six pit stops to fix the air? In his car, not his tires. What in is his car. that,
0: dude? What is that?
1: And then, and then recently, you have the strategical ma- uh, mistakes of them in Miami. Run uh, one qualifying in the bottom fifteen, which that is not what McLaren should be doing. And no. then two, running softs when literally no other team puts softs on.
0: Yeah, it's not. They're not making good decisions. They're not building good cars. They're not having I, good strategy. I said this. I said
1: this eight weeks ago. Zach Brown's fired after this year. Ooh. I said it eight weeks ago. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I'd love to see how that plays out. I mean, I think there's a board that runs McLaren because he's the CEO. Oh, I'm sure. They cannot be ha- – McLaren is falling; Like, they are getting passed by Aston Martin, Alpine. They're going to get passed by Haas and Williams and Alfa if they're not careful, and Alfa Romeo. Yeah. I mean, there is a good chance McLaren
0: finishes ninth or 10th this year. Yeah, if they don't get their act together and they don't start finishing races, it's going to be a real problem. With that, that's the history of McLaren. From 1966 to current day, we have some fun notes, maybe yeah, some Those fun topics, and uh, I'm gonna let you take it from here. So, I was unfamiliar
1: with this until we started talking top liveries oh. of all time. But McLaren has, just like in terms of drivers, some of the most iconic Formula One yeah, liveries. Yeah, we of covered all time. a lot of that in the top liveries. And like I said, I always thought that the right, the white and red Marlboro car was a Ferrari. It was not. Ferrari had a similar car one year, but the Ferrari was always primarily red. This is primarily white, I would say, with that red stripe. Right. That is a car that McLaren ran, the MP4-1 through MP4-11, 81 to 96, probably the most historic livery of all time, is a McLaren. Yeah, that Marlboro McLaren
0: is hard to beat, man. Beats every Ferrari, beats every
1: Williams, beats everything. The mp four twelve takes McLaren into their silver era. Jeremiah mentioned them going back to orange, which was like their, their roots. So they hadn't had an orange car really except for when Bruce McLaren was around. Um, the most iconic I'm going to say out of that was the 06 to 2013 phase where it was like that chrome car oh, with the red Vodafone. Man. That's the Fernando Alonso, the Lewis Hamilton car. Um, just absolutely um, iconic from them. We've mentioned this several times throughout this episode, but McLaren, maybe outside of Ferrari, has the best list of drivers ever. And this is not a comprehensive list, but I'm just going to start reading. Bruce McLaren, Jackie Eeks, uh, who didn't win F1, by the way, but is a six-time 24-hour Le Mans. Six-time?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: Emerson Fittipaldi, Alan Prost, Nikki Lauda, Kiki Rosberg, uh, Nico's dad uh Ayrton Sinna Michael Andretti we all know that Micah Heikinen Martin Brundle (laughs) (laughs) not a dominant F1 driver but definitely relevant in the world of F1 if you're watching today if you're listening to Brundle talk and just know that he drove for uh McLaren back in the day Nigel Mansell uh an F1 champion Jan Magnussen yeah K-Mag's dad (laughs) Uh, Kimi Raikkonen who you might be familiar with from Ferrari's uh, championship days Lewis Hamilton, obviously winning one with McLaren, and then seven. Six. <laughs> Six with Mercedes, sorry. And then, oh, that's right. You made the prediction he was going to win eight Yeah, this year. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not going to work. That's not this episode. Juan Pablo Montoya. Oh, just a great name. <laughs> I <know. laughs> And then Fernando Alonso. And not to mention, you have the ones that can still be great that were in the McLaren system. Carlos Sainz drove for them. Sergio Perez drove for them. Uh, you now have Lando and Oscar. I, I don't know if Lando's there. He's had a long time in F1, but I think Oscar still has an extremely bright future considering he's won everything he's ever been in. Literally all of it. In one year, he won everything yeah, that he's, he's ever everything.
0: been in. Hey, they had David Coulthard from yeah. 1997 until 2003.
1: Yeah, Red Bull took him as their like you know mainstay as a driver. 2004. When they, yeah, when Red Bull entered the grid, they said, hey, this is our guy. Him and Weber are going to help this team yeah up. they
0: snagged them in 2005 when they entered they snagged them right into their roster
1: and that happens with a lot of mclaren drivers they always kind of get picked up and <laughs> <laughs> move somewhere else yeah well
0: and then overall you look at you know we talk about
1: probably the three most historic constructors of all time ferrari williams and mclaren mclaren has 12 drivers championships you go 74 76 84 85 uh sorry 84 85 86 88, 89, 90, 91, Jeez. <laughs> and then 08 with Hamilton, and then eight constructors, uh, basically that
0: same spread, just a couple missed out. Hey, 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 you skipped too. what a skip? You skipped 98. Oh, 98. 99, 99. Man. How dare you discredit Mika Hakkinen?
1: <laughs> Deserves all the credit. Uh, but yeah, just some little notes on how after the year-by-year breakdown, like McLaren is a name, and while they might be struggling today, they are still McLaren.
0: Oh, easily. And, you know, they might be struggling today, but we see that they're making movement, right? So they're building add-ons. Right now they're having to use uh, Mercedes's wind tunnel, and it's limited. I think they're also using their wind tunnel, which is a very outdated wind tunnel, and they're not able to do as much testing as possible. So they're building a brand new wind tunnel into their factory so that they can have full access to it. I will be more impressed with their
1: movement when big name people get fired and big name people brought in you fire zach brown and you go score a huge name engineer and team principal which they have andrea andrea stella running the team right now yes get some big name people go steal somebody huge from these other teams pump some money into this
0: thing well, they're not going to get Adrian Newey because he just re-upped well, the Red Well, no,
1: not that. But, I mean, outside of that, go get somebody of note in this sport or in the motor racing
0: world, and let's make some moves. So you want to see a full Ferrari and Mattia Bonato. That's what you want. Uh,
1: t- maybe not Mattia Bonato.
0: <laughs> You're going to say that Mattia oh, Bonato like and Zach as, Brown like, are not equal terms? As like the... Oh, I thought you were saying bring in Matteo Oh, no. no, no, no. I'm saying you want another repeat of the ferrari Matteo bonato situation. Yeah,
1: even if it wasn't the right move for, for Ferrari, at least they realized something's wrong with this situation. We have to do something. We've got to do something with it, and they just weren't.
0: So, yeah, that's all I've got. All right, guys. Well, I hope that you enjoyed the brief history, or we tried to make it brief at least, of McLaren racing, all the way from Bruce McLaren, 1966, to current day Zach Brown and the gang. 20 like and the gang. Oh, hey, come boy. on. <laughs> That's pretty good.
1: If we missed anything or if you have a constructor that you would like
0: us to look at next in terms of their history, let us know in the comments. Also, if you have any stories of McLaren that you might have done research on and you might have told or might have learned about that we didn't tell, let us know. We like hearing these stories. We want to know more about what it is that we don't know.
1: Yeah. If you raced against Bruce McLaren in that 1952 okay. hill climb, we want you on the
0: show. <laughs> Maybe not. But, I mean, that'd be cool. It'd be awesome. But they'd be, what, 80, 90? Hey, got stories to tell. I guess so. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have for you. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast. Remember to leave a comment down below. For now, that's all. Bye, guys. See ya.